Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. They caught a shark, not the shark. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. We're tonight's entertainment. This is some serious gourmet. Showtime! I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I amuse you. Well, guys, I'm back. Yes, Blood, Sweat, and Popcorn lives again, and it's been a long time, I know, and I know everyone has been chomping at the bit for my inevitable return, and your prayers have been answered. I have, I have, uh resurfaced and I'm ready to rock and roll all over again. Thank you everyone for supporting me and being patient and being uh, understanding 2020 and you know 2021 have been very tumultuous. A lot of stuff has been going on, but uh, you know I'm happy to get back into the game and happy to uh, have a great guest with me on my uh, on my triumphant return. I have um, Melissa. Melissa, um, she is my editor. Over at Horror Geek Life, she's the editor-in-chief, she's the head honcho, she's the big boss, and she's just a, a total badass. And we're here today to talk about a few things, actually, um, and I'm really happy she took the time out of her schedule, because she's super, super busy to uh, come on the show and just talk about uh, you know South by Southwest, talk about her role um, in this community, and talk about this really really obscure film from the early 80s which we'll get to shortly but uh, I just wanted to just tee her up set her up very nicely with some high praise and uh, let her introduce herself so she can humble herself even though she shouldn't do that because she's so cool so Melissa thank you so much and welcome thank you yeah that is a hard one to follow up but (laughs) thank you for that I appreciate it yeah, I'm glad I finally get to come on because we've talked about it for a while now. We, so we have we actually we talked about coming on, uh, coming on my show and talking about a few different films, and uh, you know, it seems all the films that you want to talk about are, are very obscure but very kind of fun, um, in their own kind of in the appreciating of, of horror kind of way. Where if you're a student of, of horror and you love horror, like you know, you pick the ones that people in this camp should really look at and. I'm, I tend to usually hit more of the mainstream type of films, but um, it's good to kind of dig deep and and kind of smooth out something that could be a diamond or could be a nice polished turd, actually. But, you know, they're still fun to watch. And uh, we'll get to that film um, here, here shortly. But uh, I want to start off by saying, um, now that I have you trapped on, the, on my show, <laughs> I wanted to start off by saying that, uh, you know, I really enjoy the content that horror geek life uh, provides, you know, it's, it, it's, I think I told you, it, it, I first saw the horror geek life uh, page on Facebook years ago, or it's what seems like years ago. And I had already liked it and, and, you know, was following it and was like loving the content and the memes and everything. And I just randomly found you on Twitter one day and asked to be a, a writer, not knowing you were who you were, who you were. And I was already invested in what horror geek life was already doing for the community so it was like really serendipitous that you know uh i was already kind of looking to expand my horizons and i happened to find you know come across you on twitter and um you know i've been writing for you for almost a year now 
and it's been great. It's been so much fun. Um, couldn't ask for a better editor to work for, honestly. Um, but, you know, um, part of your experiences as being this editor, uh, of being this big boss, um, is that you have a lot of experience behind you uh, in the writing and um, uh, in, in the entertainment industry, in, in the horror industry, and um, and it seems like everyone I talk to at least knows the site. If if they're not, they know you personally. Um, I've asked around. I've asked around about Melissa, um, and um, that leads me to um, you know how you have to kind of be connected in this community to kind of really get some things going. And um, that leads me to uh, South by Southwest, where ironically, it wasn't through Haruki Life. It was through the other site I write for, uh, CRP Writes, which everyone should go check out. Um, I was able to snag a press pass to go to South by Southwest. And I just think it's just an immense opportunity I never saw for myself um, but, you know, I took that that brave first step to uh, to ask and, you know, asking to come on Hard Geek Life, asking to join CRP Rights, asking Connor, the editor over there, to come over and, and, and cover South by, Southwest, uh, South by Southwest. And that's in Texas. It's in Austin. And you're in Texas. And I don't know. It just seems like South by Southwest is right in your wheelhouse because it's, you know, well, it tell me, in, in your opinion, what, what is the draw what is the allure of going to South by Southwest, either as a writer, editor, uh, uh, or just normal consumer of entertainment? So I am a film fest junkie. I love covering film festivals. Um, I have covered many as press over the years. I'm really, you know, I have a lot of fun with it. But South by Southwest is an experience that I have yet to ever duplicate. Um the entire city of Austin is in on South by Southwest. Like the whole city transforms to South by. It's not just a film festival at a couple of locations that you, you know, go to movie theater and you watch the movie and you No, it's like the whole city is involved in this. And so many people are in town and you can tell who, you know, are in town for the festival and who are locals to Austin. Um, I know a lot of locals don't always enjoy <laughs> the uh, tourists that come in for South by, but um, you know, it's great for the economy down there. It's great for the Texas economy and for Texas film because it, it, Texas has become like a Mecca for indie film and especially Austin. You know, there's a lot of really awesome films that are filmed here and a lot of filmmakers that live here. Um, I've yet to go to South by without seeing Elijah Wood and his, you know, little posse. And, um, and he was even a DJ at a party I went to one time. Like, it's just, it's such an experience though, that is downright addicting because you are so immersed in film for days and you're surrounded by people who are paying thousands of dollars to be there or their create creators, um, or they're covering it for their profession. And so everyone you're around has the same exact passion as you, and it's just such an amazing feeling. And you start talking to people. And I've met so many amazing people from there. Um, my Twitter was filled with people from uh, South By. My Instagram is too. And it's just, it's such a great thing. I don't know. Um, you leave there though. If you are burnt out 
before South by, which I often get burnt out at the beginning of the year because we push so hard the end of the year with horror geek life. And, you know, I feel a little burnt out by March um, because things start to slow down. It's kind of getting a little sludgy. It feels like, and once you go to South by and you leave, you are just inspired and you want to do more um, with your career. You want to do more with your connections and it's just a great feeling. So I'm excited you get to experience it. Austin is a super cool city that I go to pretty often. It's about a three hour drive for me. Um, and yeah, you'll, you'll see what I mean that once you're there and you're around all these people and you meet, I mean, you're standing in line and you meet some of the biggest filmmakers and, you know, and in indie <laughs> um, horror or indie film or anything. I mean, you're just like, wow, this is my life right now. This is really cool. <laughs> so it, it seems like a dream for anyone who really just loves, loves the art form, who can appreciate cinema for what it is, for what it tries to do. And, you know, I've never been to a proper film festival. Um, the closest thing I've ever been to a proper film, anything was I happened to be in LA one time and I was walking down, might have been sunset or Hollywood Boulevard and Jackass 3d was premiering and all the all the hoopla you know the red carpet i'm like it was jackass like really but like so like the big i don't know how you would describe it like the big circus that is film filmmaking and, and film festival is is a whole new world for me and well i've usually just lived vicariously through other people who have gone to film festivals who um, have gone to film premieres and they get to partake in an experience uh, before the public do, and in, in a very intimate way because it's you're, like you said, you're there with the filmmakers, you're there with the crew, you're there with um, mutual fans of not just that maybe that filmmaker or that film in particular, but of cinema. And you know, I get it; it's a niche niche uh, uh, audience that are a group of people that really are invested into into what this craft can do for you know, our species, but it's, it's going to be such a treat. I feel to just be able to go there and experience something like that. Um, I wanted to ask you like, what, what value do you see in, in holding and standing up these, these film festivals and, and these types of events? I think there's a couple of, of, you know, things of value that they bring and that hopefully we as critics can bring to the festival and to the filmmakers but you know i i think what they do is it kind of gives the filmmakers an idea of what they have before it goes to the masses you know it gives them an audience reaction it gives them a critics reaction they're able to kind of set their expectations on what people are going to expect once it it makes it out there and i think that a lot of filmmakers probably get just as inspired as I do by, you know, being around kindred spirits and being around creative types that know the struggles of funding, know the struggles, struggles of production hell, know the struggles of distribution and it gets them distribution. You know, that's a big struggle right now for especially indie films and they're able to go and if these films get the right response from critics and audiences, then, you know, these film companies, that's how you, they find them. And that is how their film is going to get distributed to the masses. And so if they don't partake in this, they are going to have to push a lot harder on the back end to get their film seen 
by those same distribution companies who are just sitting in the audiences randomly for their films. So it's a lot of value for them, for sure. Um, you know, for us, it's always great to, as critics, to be able to see something early. You know, mm-hmm. it, uh, it it does a lot to be able to say, okay, here's my review, and this is, you know, three weeks before release, um, especially with Rotten Tomatoes. Putting that out there early, you know, it, all eyes kind of go on that kind of on, on those reviews. And so for us, it's great. You know, <laughs> like that's what we do. And we need that. Uh, we need that that edge, you know, right. of seeing things early. So so it seems like, you know, and I, and I know this answer already, but it seems like critics hold a special power, um, you know, in, in the world of theater because, you know, I know the big joke is like, what do critics know? Critics don't know what they're talking about, blah, blah, blah. But really, critics know a lot. And it's because they kind of have to. Like, when critics can point out, you know, tropes and and recycled, you know, storylines, plot lines, it's because we've seen it so many times because we have to watch so many films and, and short films and everything. And so our eyes are more tuned, our ears are more tuned into what we're looking at and able to really crack open the story and see what value is, what's new, what's original, what is recycled. And then we can assess and give it a grade to, you know, hey, audience that's casual. And like, if you like these types of films, this this is going to be a film for you. If you like, you know, if you're like really into Marvel movies or superhero films, this docudrama about a lawyer and his wife and their dying dog probably won't be as appealing to you as as Eternals or whatever MCU property is coming out. Um, so I see how that ties into the uh, power of South by Southwest. It's like like you're, how you're describing it. It's kind of like, like an expo. And you're like, <laughs> people are like basically like auctioning off their films to see, hey, how does it look? This is good? All right, say it's good so people will give me money to put it out there. And and I think that's really neat, though, that it's, it's, a, it's like a privilege and, and a responsibility that critics hold to to be able to do that, and um, it's exciting. It's exciting to like be a part of that because I've been watching films like I don't mean just like watching movies like a kid, but even as a child, I was watching films and I was studying them. Um, my grandfather, um, when I was golly seven, eight, nine years old, he opened up a string of video stores, and when I after school, I would go, you know to the video store to, and I would be like be babysat till my mom got off work and picked me up and I would watch a different movie every day. And it wasn't just like Lion King and like safe kid friendly stuff. I would put on like Bloodsport and like Wrath of Khan and like, you know, just stuff that cultivated like, you know, it wasn't so much of me watching an R-rated film, like a taboo, like, ooh, and you know, I would, I would gloat to my friends at school. It was like, this is interesting. You know, I was really just, I would just really watch to like learn and I had these pipe dreams as a kid to be a filmmaker, but I realized that's not what my passion was. My passion was really just the academic and the scholarship of looking at film and looking at the messages it can send and reflect back to, to society and how we can learn and grow from them. So being, I'm not, you know, everyone, by the way, everyone, uh, Melissa is a rotten tomatoes certified critic. She is a real McCoy. <laughs> I'm calling you a big deal, okay? <laughs> That's what I'm saying right now. She, she shakes, <laughs> she's shaking her head at me, but uh, we know we know what the truth is. Um, 
What was I saying? Oh yeah. Um, you know, we had it's an honor to have this privilege, privilege and this responsibility to to share this with the world. And so I'm just really honored just to even go like like I'm a nobody. Like I, I'm going to go like probably thousands of other people and just sit in the seat and oh that's great and type up my little thing and but that may influence the right person one day and say hey we should make more films like this. Um, this this has potential. This filmmaker, this film company is on something new here and something edgy, something creative. And I think that's also why I really like film. It's it's creative. It's interesting. It's not by the numbers. It's not black and white. It's not, uh, I don't know. It's not too nailed down. It's free-flowing. So anyway, that's my two cents about uh, the value of critics. Um, and I want to ask, um, moving on, like, as far as like you running a a uh, uh, I guess an independent site um, that is you know kind of in its in its own little category, uh, horror geek life is very specific. Um, is has that have you been able to funnel in like uh, um, have you been able to uh, like funnel in and kind of place horror geek life as a, as a as like an anchor for where people can go to or people can lean on for good content as far as reviews and and what to expect in the future and just solid news i mean that's that's what we try to do um you know you're a writer for me and so you know that we really try to set ourselves apart by right now the market is flooded by three things um in the market being sites, entertainment sites, like what we do of all different niche and genres. Uh, but it's pretentious people being very pretentious and talking down to readers, talking down to the filmmakers. Um, because, you know, although being a critic is very cool, you know, you have to come at it to where you are not the smartest person in the whole room. And what you say is the end all be all. And that is very common right now. Um, the other side of that is people who love everything. And I don't think that sometimes we realize how, you know, these sites and these critics that give five stars to every single thing across the board is actually a toxic thing because it gives filmmakers, you know, no criticism or feedback. And that's what they need. If they're putting something out there for the masses, they need to know what works, what doesn't work. And when everything just works blindly like that, it, it kind of becomes a toxic thing. Um, and also it makes filmmakers mad at you for reviewing it the right way. I've had that happen. Um, and then the third thing is clickbait and, you know, clicks are what sells. And yes, like we want clicks. We want an audience. That is how we make money. That is how we grow. However, you know that I would never accept anything with clickbait. Yeah. Um, I I really encourage us to, you know, everything has to be sourced. Everything has to be linked. If it's a rumor, we rarely ever run rumors. But if we think that it's actually a legit rumor, we will still label it rumor in the title so that you're not broadened by the title. And then you click and we're like, well, we think we're not really sure. And so we try to put ourselves out there. We try to be very transparent with our readers. And we've seen a very positive uh, reaction to that because 
we approach everything. I approach everything as what I want. So when you go to the site, you're not overran by 20 ads on a page because I hate that. Mm -hmm. I will close a page if I encounter that. Now, would that make me more money? Yes. Do I want money? Sure. But I don't want it that way. I would rather have it other ways, you know, but, um, and then also I hate clickbait. I, I hate these fake stories that we see even at large horror sites right now, large gaming sites. And it's just, I try to be none of that because I'm like, this is just, we're, we're fans first mm-hmm. and we're running our content as fans, not as, you know, shysters or people trying to be shady and, oh, we got our click, you know, um, we want you to keep coming back. We want people to keep coming back and rely on us. And if we mess with that one time, that one reader will never come back. And so we really try, you know, we can't please everybody, but if we're going to make someone upset, we don't want it to be because we're being shady or pretentious or something like that. So that's what I try <laughs> to accomplish. Yeah, I, because uh, I follow, I follow a lot of stupid meme pages on social media because I just love stupid memes. But also, with a lot of those pages, they'll like host, they'll, they'll, they'll hang up articles, and the title is always something blah 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 revealed, blah 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 revealed. That just drives me up the wall. It's like I I know they can't just say because whatever is needs to be revealed they could say it within the context of the headline but they won't do it because then you won't click the son of a bitch and then they make no money but it's so it is pretentious and it's frustrating and it's irritating and I'm really happy to be part of a team that does not do that um <laughs> um yeah the the news that we we put out I feel is very just earnest to the point like this is what's going on this is. And I can't think of any time Horror Geek Life put out rumor mill gossip stuff. Um, not my, not my uh, tenure or being around the sh- y- y'all. Um, uh, <laughs> but no, not once. Um, that is something that I'm actually really proud of. Is someone can completely audit our site, and you know you're not going to find that. You're not going to find us lying. You're not going to find us. You know, if, if something comes out and it's confirmed and it's later changed, we'll go back and we'll change it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we do, we put the reveals in the title and I understand that people probably share sometimes for the title alone and they don't click to read it, but I'm, I have to be okay with that because I just, I don't want to be that person. So, or that editor. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. Um, I want to also want to ask you, um, since we're kind of in, and as far as like doing reviews uh, in print, uh, it's still a website, but it's still kind of print at the same time. Um, how do you feel about you know this new world where you know the Roger Eberts and June Siskels and Leonard Maltons of the world are kind of taking a back seat to YouTube reviewers, where because you know at the you know I can hold, look go on my phone, jump onto YouTube, and if I'm curious about Halloween Kills or whatever recent movie, I can just like, oh, this guy who I can see, I can hear his voice, or I can hear his voice, I can see his face, get his tone, or her tone, and I can understand the context of how they're writing about this, or reading about, or reviewing this film, you know, because I'm a a huge fan, I'm a big devotee of the YouTube critic people, like I I also wanted to be that at one point, Um, but I, I do feel it's kind of oversaturated, um, you know, do you feel like that is 
giving some competition or is as over overran print media as far as being a critic in print? I don't, you know, I think that people have a preference. Like you love to watch YouTube. I hate watching YouTube. I will uh, read, you know, 1600 words before I ever watch a YouTube video for even, you know, two minutes. And so I think that there's a place for both. Mm -hmm. And I personally, I have looked into, you know, making videos. I've always been very video shy. I've, I've just started being okay with like Zoom and everything as of last year. So all of this is really new to me. Um, but I've looked into things like that. And I, it is so overwhelming because it's so oversaturated. And you think, I just don't know how I'm ever going to, you know, rank in this world. But I think that there's a place for the old timers, the dinosaurs that <laughs> were probably even a dinosaur when it comes to this, but um, you know, to where they have print only. And it, there's also a place for these awesome YouTubers that they really do a great job of breaking down movies and, you know, things like that. Um, and I do, I, I think there's room for both because like I said, you know, just with you and I, we have two totally different preferences on how, we like to get our reviews mm -hmm. um, and movie news and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I think the world is probably going towards video yeah. over print. I, I think we see that, you know, well enough. Um, but I also think that with the changes that YouTube has made over the last couple of years, it's very unfriendly to, to newer users. And so you kind of think, well, if I have a good thing already, why do I want to stretch myself thin and go into this whole new world where other people already have such a, you know, a, a footprint in it. So, and I mean, when I was starting YouTube, um, that was one of my fears, but like, Hey, so many people were already doing this exact same thing. What, what are you trying to do? And I was convinced by another YouTuber that said like, look, They've made all these mistakes that you don't have to. Don't do what they have done. Yeah, they're great now, but they had to work for it. And you can't just jump into YouTube land as a new content creator and just be off to the races making a gajillion bucks with a thousand million views and all these things, a bunch of subscribers. And and I get that. I guess that's kind of what my, my split with print media, uh, print reviewing and YouTube reviewing is because print uh, reviews are less cumbersome. You can just type it up in a two or three minute read for whoever, depending on how long, like me, I'm very wordy. So maybe a little longer if you want to read one of my reviews, but it doesn't take long. You can kind of get the gist. If they're a solid writer, a average reader can pick up on what's put, being put down. Whereas video is a lot more cumbersome. There's production, there's lighting, there's audio, there's focus, all these things on top of just having the content that's interesting to talk about. And what I realized was that in YouTube, it's, it's people, the more popular YouTubers, it's not that their content is so amazing is that people have fallen in love with who they are. And, um, like the big YouTubers I like to follow or watch almost everything they make is Jeremy Johns and Chris Stuckman. And at first I was just interested because they would talk about movies that I liked and they liked the movies I liked, so I could relate to them. And before I knew it, I just watched whatever they wanted because I just like, because I thought they were like, in another time, another place, we could have been friends, you know? And I'm like, they really, you know, put a, dug a little nice hole for themselves. And, 
and I think that's something different that people can relate better with people who they can they, they can see and they can hear and you know and I love that Hard Geek Life has also by the way your podcast is back out and back up and running and I think that's why podcasts have kind of taken off like they have in the last decade decade and a half because people can you know it's talk radio essentially but people can hear stuff that they want to talk about there's so many podcasts out there and they can hear people that kind of like it's almost like a feedback loop confirmation bias in some cases where it's people are hearing people reinforce what they want to hear if you're political listen to like certain radio stations that just feedback what you already believe the same with movies and music so i guess my point is it's like it's interesting to see where where we're going with how we can how we digest consume and report back our findings as critics and what people want to hear from us how they want to hear from us what 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 vehicle suits them the best and it's even between two movie buffs like you and i it's split um and i mean, I love print reviews too don't get me wrong but you know it's just i've i've you know i did this to myself <laughs> like i i i i uh, became a habit a uh, habitual user of youtuber of, of youtube and i just if someone pops up with a new review i'm like oh you know, and that actually has formed my opinion on what I should go see because that's kind of like the whole point of it of a review is to motivate you or or protect you from whatever has been released. And um, but anyway, do you have any more thoughts on uh, on uh, uh, YouTubing or reviews in that re- in that context? No, I think you're right. I think that you know. It's kind of like with Horror Geek Life, I have struggled with the thought of putting my face as Horror Geek Life because I've never wanted that. I, You know, there are other big sites where you have that one person that you identify with that site all the time um, just as a very casual reader. And I've struggled with that. That's why my my personal accounts, you know, I, I don't have a whole lot of industry stuff. I have like Simpsons memes and <laughs> silly things like that. Selfies, you know, yeah. it's like a, a general account. And so, uh, but you know, with the podcast, it does do that. And I have played with the thought of doing some video now that I'm not as shy, but I don't know. We'll see. Cause it's scary to think about putting yourself out there that far <laughs> and you have to deal with comments and I don't know. I would we'll t- see. I will tell you, I can relate so easily to your trepidation because, you know, someone who dealt with, you know, image image issues, uh, for me at least, I'm not, I don't know where your shyness comes from. You might just be an overall, overtly shy person. Um, I'm very shy. You know, I had image issues growing up, um, self-esteem issues, so I was very, very hesitant to get in front of a camera. Um I was even more hesitant to even start the podcast, which I did before YouTube, because I didn't like my voice. You know, you, you get so self-conscious about things, you don't realize until you actually are looking looking them in the face. Like, oh, that's what I sound like? That's what I look like? That's how, that's how people are going to hear and look at me and view me as? And it's like, uh, it can be very intimidating. Um, but after a while, I, I kind of got used to it. And it's like, if they don't like me, then I, I didn't know them anyway, so what does it matter? <laughs> but... Um, but, you know, um, moving on to uh, – so South by Southwest is going to be a fun time. Ten days. I don't think I'll do the full ten days. Um, my, actually, my sister is getting married at the tail end. On the, she's getting married on March 19th. 
So I'll have to jet out a few days early. But uh, you said like the it's very top heavy with films and stuff. So definitely want to go out well, there for it's, the start. It's two different festivals. It's oh, okay. film. Yeah. It, so film is the first half, and then they and then a couple of days are lull, and then it comes music. Oh, and. Fine. So everyone, and then they have a gaming expo during the weekend at the convention center. So so the way, yeah. So the way that it set up the first year that I went, I was so unprepared. Um, I was so overwhelmed and I just (laughs) didn't even know what to do because I expected it. I covered cons and stuff and I, and I covered film festivals within cons like Texas Frightmare or Comic Palooza. So I thought, okay, we go to this convention center and I'm going to see different films in like different rooms because it's a giant convention center. And no, that is not what happens. Oh, no. you, you get there to the convention center and you get your badge and you get all checked in. And uh, then your films that you will be watching are spread out amongst, I don't know, five or six different theaters across Austin. And so a couple will be within walking distance of the convention center, but then others, they have free shuttles that run really well. They have a really good system, um, but they have free shuttles that you can jump on and then it takes you to the theater that you would like to go to. And um, so it's a really big process and you have to plan it uh, in advance. And I was just like, oh my God, what did I just step into, you know? Um, And then the music, so... The first weekend, the films are premiered. So you have the really big premieres. You have the smaller premieres happening. Um, I cover a lot of horror. So my films are usually at 10 o'clock at night. Uh, and then they, I, I watch a couple of them and I come home like at 2 or something. And and then I sleep in <laughs> the next day. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, and so you, you do that for the first few days. And then you have press days where you get to meet the talent at various hotels if you've set up any interviews. And then a couple of days lull, like a Wednesday, Thursday. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday are is a huge music convention. I mean, every musician in the world that you would ever have on record or CD or whatever is there. (laughs) So it's just a massive, massive. And then, you know, everyone is there and they look like they're going to like Burning Man. (laughs) You know I mean? It's just very bohemian kind of, you know, thing. And so you can tell the difference between when film is there and then when music comes in, it's just two different things. I, I sometimes cover the gaming expo. Um, I, because I can drive back and forth at the end, you know, right. The first few days for a film lover is really the Friday through the the Sunday is going to be the crucial times. But the films replay throughout the week. Okay. It's just not the premieres, and it's not with you know cast Q and A things like that. It's just a a screening. Are you able to? How do you select your films that you want to like? I assume I haven't talked to Connor, my other editor. I haven't asked him what he what his expectations are. Um. But let's just say I was going at it alone, lone wolf. Like, what's your, what's the selection process? How does that look like? What, what does that look like? Uh, so you will have an app. Um, it's really mm-hmm. crucial that you get the app. And mm-hmm. anyone who, yep. whether you're there for, you know, just a viewer or whatever. So you get the app and you have your profile and that's where everything's linked. And you can go in and select the films that you would like to attend. And it will tell you you know, yes, like it's green, you have a spot, you are able to get there, but you can also look and say, okay, I'm, there's some movies, you're there two hours early, you're not going to get in. 
and it will tell you it's red. You're not getting in here and unless a lot of people walk away from the line. And oh, so, yeah, it's, but you'll have your schedule pretty early and then you just write down, I would always write down, you know, my, my must and then my alternative list because mm-hmm. you're not going to get into everything you want to get into. Um, you know, especially the, the openers, you have to get there four or five hours in advance and sit. Uh, oh. and I, I don't have that kind of patience. Heck no. Which is either. why I missed Jordan Pill, which I was really upset about. Oh, but no. man, I just didn't have it in me. Uh, um, but yeah, so it, it it you definitely the app makes it a lot better. They have improved the app over the last couple of years. Um, so it runs a lot smoother than it ever has. But you can definitely expect some standing and waiting and <laughs> sitting on concrete. That's that's fair. I uh, so I I didn't volunteer the last two years because of COVID. But I volunteer in Dragon Con in, in Atlanta, and um, with uh, with disability services, and it's so much fun. You kind of have like this this unofficial VIP pass because you have to go be able to go everywhere, and um, and I always felt so bad for all like the I call them, I not, not the peons, but like the average folk. That just had to like sit in line, like sorry, I get to walk by everybody, and just like the normies, have, the, the, the normies. You guys, you guys enjoy that floor you're sitting on. I got to go in here, right? Real quick. And um, yeah, it's cool. I got to like, I didn't. I've met a few people like in passing, um, like a, you know, bumped elbows with you know Peter Capaldi and Robert England and uh, people I can't even think of their names right now. Um, there's, there's so many great, great people that go to Dragon Con. And, um, I just, you know, but it's, it's what I really love about it. It's just the atmosphere. Everyone's dressed up. Everyone's having a good time. Everyone's there to have fun. There's no, all the crap that's elsewhere in the world is not invited in. And that's what I, that's the atmosphere I love to, to sit in at least for a few days, you know, and by, by four days into Dragon Con, I, I'm burnt. Because I'm volunteering, I'm walking around. I, I like lose weight every year because I'm just walking. I'm on my feet the whole time, um, and uh, long days. But it's fun. It's it's rewarding, and uh, I, I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that South by Southwest provides a, a a similar type of atmosphere where it's it's common interest, like you say, kindred spirits, people just enjoying the moment, enjoying the art, and enjoying each other. So. Safely with safely with consent, of course. So. Yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there is definitely, a, you know, your fair share of walking, but instead you're walking like Austin streets downtown, and so you have to kind of be careful because it can be a little uh, sketchy and scary at times, especially at really? night. But well, yeah, because it's downtown, and you know, um, and uh, a lot of people go down there because they know that tourists are there with money and. You know things like that. So you just want to. I never felt in danger, but you also kind of want to know your surroundings a little bit. Um, that, that's that's Atlanta so. in in Labor Day yes. weekend. Because <laughs> yes, because Dragon Con is spread now. It's over five different hotels, but sometimes you walk like the Skyway walk from one place to the next. Sometimes you have to get outside and go you know, through the streets, and sometimes it can get hairy. Or but mostly it's just super crowded because there's like God couple hundred thousand people there it's it's wild it's, it's just a madhouse um but speaking of austin i want to ask you i've never been to austin i've been to a few places in texas 
And I've lived everywhere, everywhere I've been in Texas. Um, there are two places I wanted to go in Austin, and that's because I'm I've I've been uh, duped by Instagram to go there, um, as you do. Um, and those two places are Terry Terry's Barbecue or Terry Black's Barbecue. Um, you know, like if I go to Texas and I don't get barbecue, I feel like I should, yeah. should I should never come back. Like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're not invited anymore, sir. And then. Yeah. The second place is um, Jensen Ackles' uh, Brewing Company. Um, and, you know, there's always, like, the hopeful chance I'll run into Jensen Ackles because who wouldn't want to? But I like a good beer. Uh, and so I feel like – and you can only get that – well, that brewery is only in Austin. So, you know. But other, other than that, I have no idea what I'm missing, what, I'm, what I need to look out for in Austin. I, besides, I know about 6th Street. It's like a college kind of a vibe. Well, yeah, um, because, you know, UT is mm-hmm. there. And yeah. so 6th Street, um, you can really, really, really regret <laughs> your choices after like seven bucks. I mean, oh, no. you it doesn't take much. Everything down there is a dollar everything, you know. Um, so no, it no can shit. be... It can be really dangerous. I have seen, I have seen some things, some really, uh, you know, that that kind of college atmosphere. Um, sure, but it's fun. I yeah. mean, it's a lot of fun. It's also on Sixth Street is a place I like, especially the the gift shop. Which John, you'll love the gift shop, but that's Museum of the Weird, and oh, you can take more. a tour of it. <laughs> you can take a tour of it, and they have like oddities and just fun stuff like that. They have a wax museum. Um, it's not a huge place, but it's a really cool place to check out. And it's, like I said, it's right on sixth street in between all the bars by like coyote ugly and, you know, Mm -hmm. some places like that. And so, but the gift shop, they have tons of postcards of, you know, horror movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Return of the Living Dead. Um, they have a Bigfoot section with the giant Bigfoot. They have really cool horror masks. Um, they have Halloween masks. They, they just have so many cool things. And so, if you're not going to check it out, at least shop the gift shop because it is so freaking cool. I love that place. Yeah, I and that's kind of the – I'm trying to plan my my trip. Like I want to go to South by Southwest and do the whole South by Southwest experience and see cool people, blah, 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 blah. Watch a few movies, write some reviews. But I want to like smartly – you know, because I'm not 22, 23 years old anymore. I'm not trying to be up to the wee hours partying. Like, no, thank you. But so I want to like watch a few movies, do some a few reviews, and see some of Austin. Like I, you know, I have a good friend of mine. She lives over in uh, outside of Houston, in Huntsville, and she is giving me crap because like you want to go to Austin? That's not Texas. I'm like it is to me. Like I don't I don't have I'm not corrupted by your experience of being from Texas elsewhere. Like I, you know, I've never been to Austin, and. I just I've heard never heard anything really bad about Austin. I I've yet to, and so it seems like a fun hip town. Um, and I'm so, so I'm so eager to check it out. So okay, so you're saying the gift shop, the museum of the weird, museum um, of the it, weird, and really with Austin, you know, it is like, uh, you know, their their slogan is keep Austin weird. I mean, and it is more of like a hippie yuppie-ish you know depending on which place you go to um but i've been in texas almost my entire life since i was two and i love austin so yeah but uh (laughs) some of the other places check so when i go to austin like i love to eat (laughs) 
because I it's just so much good food. Um, but Lucy's that, fried chicken. You're speaking my language now. Oh my god, Lucy's fried chicken is amazing. Uh, there's Hula Hut, which I swear by. So Hula Hut, you get to eat on the lake, and um, and the food. I I've had many things from there over the years, and I have never had anything I didn't like. It was like the best enchilada ever. It is the best, you know, Thai fajitas. Like, oh my God. So I, I always have to recommend um, the Hula Hut and Chewy's. I mean, you kind of, I love barbecue, but I'm a Mexican girl. So I, I like to eat Mexican <laughs> as much as possible. And I'm in Texas, so I get that opportunity a lot. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so it's always a, a fun time. And along, you know, I'm kind of like you though, where I'm in my 30s now. If I were to go to Sixth Street and do the dollar wells and shots and everything, I would probably take until the next South by to recover. Like I just <laughs> would hate myself so much. Like I can't hang like that anymore. No. Um, but for people like us who feel that way, there is Rainy Street. And Rainy Street is kind of a more grown up area of bars. And the bars are really cool because they're like in like shipping containers or they're in like these like really cool, like old houses. There's a beer garden down there. There's a food truck park. So I prefer to check out sixth street, enjoy the chaos, watch some people. But if I'm going to actually like chill and hang out, I go to rainy Mm -hmm. and I grab some food and walk around and have a couple of drinks and I don't hate myself (laughs) for the next year. So yeah, I used to live in new Orleans and I was I lived a quarter mile from the Superdome, um, or whatever it's called now, and by extension, like the the French Quarter was less than a mile from my door, and I could walk. I have walked there, um, um, much to my chagrin. It was a long longer walk than I realized at four or five in the morning, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, so I, I've I've been like a party to some of the craziness before that can happen on, you know, famous streets of ill fame where you know people like to let loose and go crazy and forget who they are for a little a little while um but here's the thing bourbon street is not cheap (laughs) they oh my gosh even if you live there uh they don't care like they oh that'll be 17 dollars. like excuse me no i'm not paying that but what's cool about bourbon street or new orleans in general is a lot like savannah georgia where the, uh, I don't know if Texas has has this anywhere, but you have the open container policy where you can walk from bar to bar with your drink. Is that is that a thing that's in Austin or no? You know, at one point, you there were drinks that you could do that with. I don't know if it's actually like a time period that you can or I can't remember, but um, I don't know if it's like a set thing because on, on, on 6th Street, things are just different. I don't know, but... It's like the Wild West. I don't know West. if it's official. Because, like, here in Dallas, it's not. It's not a thing. You can't do it here. But I can't remember if you can in Dallas, in Austin or not. So Okay. Fair. Sweet. So, well, that that is uh, – that's Austin. Well, I'm, I'm so excited to get get out there and see it. It sounds lovely. It sounds fantastic. Um, just going to Texas. There's something about going to Texas is just great. Um, and, uh, well – Anything more you want to add on Austin before we before we move on? Um, no, I I think uh, that's about it. I mean, there's a lot of really cool things I could go on and on about, but mm-hmm. you know, I covered the best food and, <laughs> and where to yeah. go if you want to party. So, what else do you need, right? I, I mean, 
what else is there, honestly? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have Bucky's in Austin? Is there a so Bucky's is like my, you know, it, it's like a religion here. It's like a cult, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. And I am part of that religion slash cult. Happily, um, I love Bucky's. I stop at every Bucky's that I pass. But uh, you will, from Dallas to Austin, I think there's two or three. But the closest one in Austin, if you're coming in from the north, is going to be like 40 minutes out of town. And then to the south of it, it's probably about the same, if I had to guess. But, um, yeah, so we definitely have Bucky's. We uh, we just got some down in Florida where my daughter lives and maybe 10 minutes from where she lives. And she's like, let's go check it out. And she had been there a few times at that point with her mom. I had never been there. I went into Bucky's and it it's like I, I ascended into heaven. It was so incredible, Melissa. I, I didn't. Like, how could such a great place actually exist? I was so blown away by how cool. I hope Bucky you got was. some barbecue. I didn't get barbecue. I got jerky. I got a T-shirt. I got got some other stuff. What else did I get? And I know I I was I was there for a while, just looking at the wall of beef jerky. That stopped me in my tracks. I couldn't I couldn't move. I was planted. I was I had grown grown roots in the ground. I was just blown away. Um, of course, I bought a whole bunch. I bought a t-shirt, like I said, and I was just like, I'm going to come back tomorrow. There's going to be more stuff tomorrow, right? And <laughs> someone said to get tacos. They have ta- tacos there too? Oh, man. See, I we should just do a food podcast. <laughs> like, I mean, my gosh. Uh, okay. After you, visit, after you visit, we just have to do like food of Texas. But um, yeah, so Love I it. always get the barbecue, which, uh, oh, my God, it's pulled chicken barbecue um but i've also had like their breakfast tacos and i've had their breakfast egg and sausage biscuits and oh my god it's just so good (laughs) everything that's funny Uh, yeah i uh who's i talking to someone uh my friend who lives she lives out in um outside of houston she was saying was the three the three things of texas the three legs of texas was like bucky's whataburger and uh gosh darn it what was the third thing I forget what it was, but it was something. It was signature to Texas, and H E B. Yes, H E B. Yeah, that's like y'all's grocery store. Uh, well, not in Dallas. We are very envious of it, and we are begging always. I think one's coming to North Dallas, but I probably won't go for a while because it will be like traffic cops, like directing <laughs> yeah, the right. traffic in, and I'm just not up for that. But um. So we're getting one, but down, once you get to a certain point going south, you see the first H-E-B, and then they're everywhere, and they're the best grocery stores. They really are. Whataburger, I have one across from me, like, within walking distance from me, so I love Whataburger, but um, I I haven't eaten it, and I don't know how long, but if I were coming in, I would, you know, I have friends who come into Texas and they're like, I have to get Whataburger. I have to get Whataburger. So see, that's the thing too. Like, um, like when I go out West, I go, I have to go to California, Colorado. I go to In-N-Out Burger cause I, I love, and I know there's In-N-Out in Texas as well. Um, but like right near where my mom used to work at in, uh, I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. There's two or three Whataburger, Whataburgers there. And they're, and they, and they just, they weren't like a prevalent, like like a McDonald's or something, but they were enough around to where I go, oh, it's a Whataburger again, 
like it's they feel so commonplace. So when I finally left the South and I was living up north, people were like from the South also were like you know, fawning over, oh, the Whataburger days. I want to go back. I'm like, really? Okay. Like, it's just a burger place. I didn't really, I guess I was spoiled without realizing it, you know, because it it is good. It's not the greatest thing ever, but it doesn't suck. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't really eat burgers and fries very often. Um, But if I were to go, it it would either be in and out or Whataburger probably. So. Everyone wants to put those two like in the boxing match, boxing ring with each other. Yeah. Like, I, I, why can't you you just like both? Like it's not a competition. Give me both. Why yeah. does it matter? <laughs> no, I'm saying. Um, I will say one of the coolest parties I've ever been to in my life um, was actually the one where Elijah was uh, Elijah Wood was being the DJ. Him and his friend were the DJ, and it was for IFC Midnight. They had like fortune tellers everywhere that would tell you your fortune and. Um, but I walk upstairs and I could smell it. I could smell a water burger. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be good because you know, everything at the parties are open you don't have to pay for anything. And yeah. so they had the open vodka bar downstairs, but I went upstairs and they literally had pyramids of water burgers, um, stacked up like burgers just stacked up that's all the party the i want to go to yeah and that's then they had fries oh my god <laughs> they had things of fries all over and so while everybody's like getting like vodka i'm like grabbing a burger and grabbing fries <laughs> and i'm like this is a... mean, like... and then i'm watching elijah would be a dj I'm like this is the best night of my life <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing <laughs> that is the best soundbite i've ever had for a podcast <laughs> Like, out of context, no one's going to understand what the hell you're talking about. That's so fantastic. I, uh, <laughs> like, that, but that's the kind of party, like, I'll bring, it B-O-I-O-B, I'll bring my own six-pack of beer, and, like, hey, there's burgers for free, there's, like, stacked up, like, and it's Whataburger, yeah. and there's Elijah Wood is spitting tunes, okay, all right, I'm game, I can, I can be I was in coerced. movies for... I was in movies for hours before that. I hadn't had anything to eat. And I was like, this is just the the best. And then I went from there to Hereditary uh, premiere. And uh, the, the director and the cast were in a Q&A. And then it was, it was done by Elijah Wood. It was hosted by Elijah. I'm like, oh, my God. This the dude's so a machine. Cool. Oh, so you got yeah. to see uh, Ari Aster. Ari Aster yes. That's yep. pretty cool. Yeah, and then the uh, the the kids, the yeah. the two actors who are the mm-hmm. kids. Um, He's younger than Elijah, me. I can't believe that. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Elijah would lives down there, so he's you know him, Robert Rodriguez. They live there. They make movies there. So that's fun. They're huge, Austin, you know, fans of being Austinites. So yeah, I've heard him, Elijah Wood, talk about Austin, how much he loves it, and I I know, I know not I know Joe Rogan's not everyone's favorite person, but like. I know he's down there because he he specifically moved to Austin from California and he loves it down there. Um, going back to Jensen Ackles, both him and Jared Padalecki both live in Austin. Joe Rogan's here. Yeah, his studio's here. Or I didn't even know that. In, 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 I had in no idea. Yep. Yeah, he left like a, he left. He's been there about a year now. Um, since the, he, uh, he, yeah, since the election, he had moved his studio to Austin. Loves it. Loves it. Loves it. So everyone's been like, so basically what I'm saying is, you know, all these little whispers of Austin have been floating around my head. And then I get to go to South by Southwest and it's like, okay, I guess I got to check out Austin finally. Like it's, oh, have you ever seen that movie Chef with John Favreau? I haven't. My friend, my dear, my dear Do Melissa. I, need to? I I would, I would highly, 
highly recommend it if you love if you love food. <laughs> and since we we has had a big connection over food just now, there's a well, he, basically the whole story. He lives in John Favreau is, is a chef, and he gets fired from his restaurant. It's a whole story. I won't spoil it for you. But he ends up having to drive a food truck from Miami back to L.A., making stops along the way, and he stops in New Orleans, and he stops in Austin, and um, and. It's about him grow- connecting with his son. It's a very sweet movie, very feel good. It's, it's like those movies that are like it's almost too good. Everything kind of wraps up too perfectly, but you kind of just go with it because it makes it feel all warm and gooey. Um, so it's a feel good movie for me for sure. Um, it's on Netflix. Actually, it's it won't be on Netflix after November thirtieth. I just saw the, I paused my Xbox on Netflix and like the little, commercial little, cards came up like oh, this movie's playing. This movie's playing. And Chef was one of those. So Chef's really good. It makes you hungry. So don't eat it on an empty stomach. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not kidding you. Don't eat it on an empty stomach. I, I believe you. Or at, least, at least have chips or snacks nearby. Um, Austin, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Yes, and, and it'll be fun to hang out. And I'm just going to be like, let's eat. <laughs> yeah. Let's just eat. You will not have yeah. to twist my arm at yeah. all. Like, I, I, I'm more interested in the food than, like, the bars and like I'll go get a beer. Heck yeah, that's fine. But I I want food first. Um, like I get embarrassed when someone is like, "Tell me about Austin." I'm like, "Okay, so." And I just start talking about restaurants because like every time I'm there, I'm like, "This is what we have to do." So I mean, like, well, I think it's good because it has like a good um, return on investment of like you know of tourism because. If South by Southwest this year coming up goes well for me, I hope to come back every year and make like have Dragon Con every year as a thing for me in Atlanta. I want to make in over Labor Day weekend. I want make I want I would love to make Austin an annual thing for me in March, you know, and because you can go and every year it's something different, something new, something fresh, but still familiar and safe. So that's a, that just sounds really very appealing to me. So. Yeah, so. I've covered it for seven years. I well, I guess technically six because twenty twenty was a bust. Um, right, but it, it's just been awesome to see how it's grown and how it's changed. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, it's going to be awesome to see what you think about it, though. Yeah, I I can't so. wait to tell you. <laughs> I'll report back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's 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 been new with you? What have you been getting into these days? What are you playing? Uh, so watching, uh, reading whatever well (laughs) the animal crossing dlc and update has come out so i have been a little bit obsessed um here lately with that and uh, like last night i i was really tired but i really needed to finish an ice cream shop for a penguin and i like lost sleep over it (laughs) because i just could not figure out how i wanted to do it um that is precious i I need you to know that is so precious (laughs) I'm a I've big never, fan of Animal Crossing. I've never played Animal Crossing. I know, I know what it is. I, I see the the was a DS behind you. Um, uh, my Nintendo Switch. Switch. Excuse me. Um, I know it's and I know it's very popular. I've never played a lick of it, but I know you're always going on about it. So there must be something to it. But uh, yeah, you know, it came out in 2020, and it really came out at the right time because. 
COVID was starting to to take form and pandemic was looming. And so once I really got it, the pandemic was just starting and it was a really scary time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to be one of those times where when we're older, we're going to, you know, okay, older, I, I'm already old, but when we're even older that, you know, right. we're going to look back and say, this is what it was like when we had to go into the lockdown. And I have anxiety anyway, and I found that Animal Crossing was something that I could slip into, that, you know, there are no enemies, there's, I'm a gamer anyway, I love Fallout, I I loved all these different, you know, I I just love playing video games. Um, Sure. And I play a lot of horror games, but to find a game where you have no enemies, you have no horror, you just build up your island and, like, you make animal friends, (laughs) you know, I, I love horror, but I have this other side of me also, and it just came at the right time, and I really latched onto it, and it really does kind of help me, I guess, take that anxiety down until, you know, of course, I have to design this perfect ice cream shop, but... Um, Gives you a safe place so to put, huge... all the, I'll put all those feelings. It does. Yeah. It does. So no, I respect this, that. Uh, yeah, so this update came out, and after playing so many hours over the last year, it's like a whole new game, so I'm just kind of falling back in love with it again, and... That's great. Um but I've also been reading a lot of comics okay. here lately. Uh, so I kind of been binging. I, I read uh, a lot of image comics lately. Um, but the Silver Coin, Volume 1, I'm getting ready for Volume 2 of that. Uh, but Michael Walsh is the is one of the writers and one of the artists on it. And uh, he's just incredible. And so, but it's about anyone who comes in possession of this coin is like a cursed coin. And uh, it's a re- it's an anthology series. It's really great. Um, the uh, Black Monday Murders. I just finished volume two of that. It's also Image, and it's just one of the best horror comics I've ever read. Period. Uh, I know that part th- that volume three is coming in the works eventually, but um, volume one and two is just amazing. And then, um, uh, hold on. Oh, and then the Me You Love in the Dark. The Me You Love in the Dark, it's kind of a Lovecraftian type tale, and mm-hmm. I read the first three issues. It's a little wacky, so I, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to keep it on my pull list. I'm going to see what I think about it, <laughs> but yeah. uh, it, it's pretty fun. It's this woman who moves into a mansion, and to she's an artist, and she needs uh, to, to create her art, so she is secluded in this mansion, and there's something in the mansion with her, like this dark form that she can talk to and talks to her and they end up at the end of the issue three, um, getting it on. So I'm going to see where this is going to oh. go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because my. If you don't know what it is. It's just like a, an entity. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'm like, okay, we're going to stick with this and see where we go with it. But, Cause there's yeah. payoff baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, That's funny. and then another, another new comic that I read the first issue of issue two isn't out yet, but I, am absolutely in love with already is a righteous thirst for vengeance. So if you're into, you know, like old boy, um, Mm -hmm. I saw the devil. If you're kind of into those type of revenge, you know, really over the top bloody Korean movies. Yeah. Like it reminds me of that. And I'm really excited because the first one was just awesome. So I've, I've gone through that a couple of times now and really excited for issue two. So but yeah, I've just been <laughs> I've just been binging comics and Animal Crossing and balancing that with life <laughs> somehow. Good. So that's so it's such a just such a fun contrast, you know, 
like horror comics and and such with with cute animals on Animal Crossing. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, life's all about well, balance. Why, you know. You know, it's why I started Horror Geek Life. Is I I wrote for horror sites um, for a while, and I enjoyed it. But I was like, there's like other things I want to write about. Mm-hmm. I I want to write about these geeky things, and so I. You know, there's a big crossover, and so I married the two, and I'm like, let's just cover it all. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't have started just a horror site. I think that I just needed the other side of that as well. Yeah, I think you also cast a wider net, not for not for the audience as much, well, for the audience, but also for your crew, because we could, we, we're not pinned down to just, you know, because I wrote a review for you for music for a heavy metal record. And I know in, in heavy metal and horror and sci-fi, there's a big, also a big crossover, um, you know, blurred lines and everything. And it's just so, it's just so fun because like these are the people that I associate with that I can relate to, because we all like the same kind of stuff. My uh, my daughter, she likes the Funko Pops. She has this budding collection of these damn things, but she also loves Hamilton, and they finally put out. Funko Pop Hamilton dolls, uh, six of them. I got her three of them for her birthday. Her birthday's on Halloween, by the way, because she's super badass. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's people like, I know people that are my age that also collect Funko Pops. And that is fantastic. That is so cool. Like, I think collecting things is, gets a bad rap from people sometimes. Like, you're wasting your money. You know, like, no, it's like, this is, I'm putting things in my house that make me feel comfortable and make me feel safe and make me enjoy life. Because this is like it's a celebration of what I enjoy. Um, like you can't see it on Zoom, but all around me right now, I have a bunch of artwork that is, um, it, it, with the exception of the two Friday the Thirteenth posters that came in the uh, the Scream Factory box set. All the other artwork I have is are by artists, original work from the artists that I got at, at horror cons. Um, so they're very unique, and I. You know, unless you went to that Harakon or saw that particular artist, you wouldn't have these. Um, but it, it just it's, it's fun for me, like a celebration of what I enjoy, which is horror films. And um, I have to be careful, though, because, like, you know, I think I give people the impression that it's all I like. And I don't just like horror films. I love horror films. But, you know, I get down on, you know, everything. You know, I'm, I'm one of those weird people that when I say everything, I, I really mean everything. And... Um, I had started a film challenge at the start of the year. I couldn't keep it up, keep up with it because it was just too much. Where I saw a different film every day that was new, and every week was a different um, subject, like movies from the forties, fifties, uh, directed women, uh, films directed by women, uh, films directed by uh, minorities, and it was it was fantastic. I did that for about three months before I got burnt out on doing it, but um. I had work and I had college homework and I'm like, oh, yeah. now, now I have to watch a movie too. Jeez Louise, you know, but, um, but yeah, I love being well-rounded, but also like being surrounded by, you know, nerdy stuff that makes me feel good. It makes me feel happy. Like, I don't know. I, I couldn't, I don't think I, I could ever live a, a minimalist life. You know, I like having, having fun stuff around me. It's just fun, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I've shared them on Instagram. You can't see them on Zoom, but I have a shelf over here. And the first one is all Simpsons, memorabilia, and uh, Pee-wee and Frasier. 
and then it goes to sci-fi and horror and then it goes to horror and so it's like it's you know progression you, yeah and so I, it makes you happy and yeah. as long as you're not doing it to the you know to your own detriment um mm-hmm. because i've definitely met collectors who need to you know <laughs> pay rent first and buy their vhs later um right you know it, it's always a it, it's nice i i like um you know, I mean, behind me, you can see my Switch, and you can see uh, stacks of comics, mm-hmm. and it just... Well placed, it's by happy, the way. so... <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, way over there, on the other side of the room, um, is a dresser that I got when I moved in that has on the shelf... I'm, I'm going to try to get some floating shelves for the wall, but it has, like, some figurines, some cups, some, like, fun... So I, I don't just have artwork. I have little tchotchkes, too, but... But yeah, I don't want to overdo with those kinds of things because that's like stuff you have to dust and keep up with. And, uh, so um, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. I wanted to talk to you about um, we're kind of we're over an hour into this thing and we haven't even touched on the movie that we were. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd done this before. I, uh, I had a friend. My friend Lindsay was on the show and we talked about Star Trek, um, the uh, the 2009 version, the remake. And we went for like 45, 50 minutes talking about our family trauma before we would talk. We we started talking about like Star Trek, but we, it was all relative because like her dad had got her into Star Trek, and it was it was a whole thing. Um, and they had my uncle and my aunt when my mom's working, they would babysit me and they would show me the next generation. That's just you know, so that's okay. I so the movie we were here to talk about is the Final Terror. Released in 1983, um, and before we get into the movie itself, I want to talk about the platform we saw it on, which was Tubi. And to be or not to be, um, and I was searching the catalog yesterday as I was kind of like scrolling through, doing some more research on it, and it's weird. Like they don't have a lot of what you would call conventional good movies. They have a lot of the lowbrow low budget kind of trashy movies but you know what it is but go ahead. you know what i think it is what it's is like it? the vhs stores back in the 80s like the not the blockbuster but the mom and pop shops yeah where you'd find the good stuff yeah you'd find the stuff that blockbuster won't carry the blockbuster was That's too good for it yes exactly and that is what you find like they have some some mainstream stuff on tv like they have uh i think yesterday i started watching scream 4 because i'm doing research on uh article for scream for a certain website and um and yeah but most of it was stuff like either i heard about and heard it was terrible or stuff i had never heard of ever and the 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 artwork alone was very off-putting but i'm like but there's a charm to that (laughs) and it's uncensored and it's free but there are commercials so they kind of get you there but like i can forgive a commercial or once in a while it's that's no, that doesn't bother me either. Um, so, so we found this obscure. You, I, I'm sorry, you found this obscure film on Tubi, and th- threw it over to me like, "Hey, this is a weird film. Maybe you should check it out." And I did. And my God, this movie was so so. I, I remember I was like, I think I was DMing you on Instagram, like, "What the hell is this movie, Melissa?" Yeah. And <laughs> and. Uh, but I, I stuck with it. I, I suck it out. And um, I really, like, had a good time, like, 
enjoying the moment of seeing it. Like the movie itself was was pretty bad. I'm gonna be yeah. honest. It was not a good movie. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend it to any of my movie people. Like, hey man, if you if you are tired of like Gladiator in American Beauty, put on the Final Terror. That really balanced things right. out. Um, and but like, it was weird because I could I couldn't really put try, try to put this movie in it in a place where I could uh, interpret and understand it because it was kind of all over the place as far as tone and the themes and doing some research on it, it was marketed like a slasher film. And this is also in more or less when slasher films were in there in, in as a genre where it was, or in their infancy, um, you know, excuse me, like, you know, Halloween had just come out a couple years before, uh, Friday the 13th, um, Texas Chancel, you know, all the, the heavy hitters that started to roll out and then you had all the copycats, um, I still haven't seen, oh, you recommended it to me. The Burning? The Burning is wonderful. It's, it's like one of, it's one of the best slashers. So I, the, I, yeah. I, I was going to, that's all, it's in my queue. I want to watch that next. Um, I saw it advertised. I'm like, oh, she told me to see that. And it, you're like, the, you're, not, you're not the only person who's, who's like mentioned that in conversation about movies to check out that I haven't seen. Um, so, but, but this movie, the, I don't know how I feel about this movie. Like, I don't know how, <laughs> because I'm not sure. It, well, <laughs> well, yeah, cause it is all over the place. It's awful. <laughs> it is awful. It is. And normally I, go ahead. I had things I didn't understand. I like it. I, it should not be that convoluted where, or that weird where I'm like questioning who this the entire time I was questioning, even at the very end, like these campers, who they are, because I guess they're supposed to be rangers, but they are not wood savvy enough to be rangers for the most part. The, and they are I don't for understand. one scene, and it made yes. it, it made no <laughs> sense. Like the scene was cool; it was it played out really cool, but it was like, so, yeah. So like the whole point of the movie the whole story could have been told in half the time it and like the setup like who the killer is like they telegraph the entire thing so going back to my point earlier about critics being able to understand and identify and and point out these tropes and these cliches is because we see so many stories and so we're like we can almost predict what's going to happen because we've seen the beats so often. And, but this was, it's like, it didn't even try. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like it's the Edgar who is Joe Pantoliano. Is that his name? It, it, that's his character. Who's like, he's kind of a son of a bitch and kind of gets like picked on by other guys, but he also brings it on himself. And, but then they telegraph it, his mom being the spoiler alert for everybody. My God, whatever will you do if we spoil this movie for you? But like the, the end of the movie, it's his mom who's the killer. And but like you, the whole point of that movie, the whole setup of that was was beaten over the head throughout the whole movie, with the the story that the guy tells at the campfire. And with Edgar sneaking food off, and it's just like, 
it's just breadcrumbs, and it it was not interesting. No, <laughs> it was so oh. Well, and and it really okay. So it's okay. So there was the problem with calling it a slasher is that is it was originally a really low body count. So there was like three was mm-hmm. the body count, and the reason why that's such a shame is there are like. 12 people that could have died very easily you know there's a lot of people there that you just could have picked off one after another like jason style and they weren't there was only three of them so at the end of production they actually went back and added in um two more kills which was a couple at the very beginning they get killed that was actually added in post-production just to because you know, studios were like, well, this needs to have more of a kill count. So they amped it up. So now there's five, but those two aren't even part of the main crew that we follow throughout the whole film. They're just mm-hmm. kind of thrown in there, thrown in there. Um, but yeah, you know, the, these Rangers go out into the woods and they are, uh, I don't know why, actually, I have no idea why, uh, Daryl Hannah is in it. Um, this was actually her, I think her first film credit maybe mm-hmm. uh, back then. And so, but yeah, she's in it. And I mean, all of the characters, like all of the male characters are very over the top toxic. <laughs> like they yes. all have anger issues and they're all yeah. just like jerks. Yeah. And it's just weird. <laughs> it's like, they're like all of a sudden, like someone will say one thing and the other guy will turn around and be like, what you want to fight about it? You know? And they just start like almost like throwing hands and it's like, what's going on? I mean, why are y'all like this? Yeah. Well, they had no, they have no training on how to deal with their emotions. Um, <laughs> and this is probably sh- set or shot in the late seventies. So I don't think that was really prevalent in households growing up for, for young men. And they're all bottled up together in this manly environment of the woods where they're taking care of the woods. And, yeah, they're just, like, beating their chest. Everyone wants to be the chief. Um, and, like, so they're it's, like, weird. They get called. They're, like, rangers. And they get called on to, like, go up a couple, like, 20, 30 miles into the woods to go do a job. But they're also going to make it, like, a slash vacay and bring up a bunch of women with them to, like, I guess to get laid and party and stuff. And... Like that's fun and all. I get it. Um, but it takes itself very seriously. It though. does. It's like like very. <laughs> like I, I didn't because I didn't connect or care with any of them. Like yeah. I, like because I'm going back through the name of characters: Dennis, Margaret, Wendy, Marco, Nathaniel, Boone, Edgar, Vanessa, Mike, and Melanie. Edgar, I know because he's the villain, or he's the son of the killer. And then Mike and Melanie are the ones who get killed because they're they're making whoopee. Mike gets killed. Melanie Melanie gets gets kidnapped and then eventually killed. And like, why keep her alive just to kill her later? Like, <laughs> what are we yep. doing? And yeah. and what was the motivation of Edgar's mom? Who I get it, she's feral, but she has enough cognitive and like uh, uh, planning going on upstairs where she like stalks them and tracks them but yeah. doesn't kill them like I, I don't understand yeah i don't know i the mom when when she's finally revealed at the end she 
she is feral and she just makes these noises. And I think I sent you this picture, but she just makes these noises like the crazy cat woman in the Simpsons where she's just like, yeah. ah, you know, and like <laughs> throw the cat. Um, exactly. I, I think that the only reason to really watch this film is, you know, number one, if you're like me and you just, you want to see everything. Okay. Watch it. Uh, number two, the ending is insane. The, like I did not see that coming. It was so elaborate for no reason. All right. And I, I laughed so hard. So let me give the listeners some context. So what happens essentially is imagine you're watching the movie Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. But instead of Arnold's whole team getting wiped out throughout the film, one or two die and he still has the bulk of the squad with him. And then they all make all the makeshift traps that Arnold makes in the original film, but they do it together. And then the alien comes and finally attacks them, and they drop that log trap that like swings a log around, and it kills a predator, and then the credits roll. That is essentially what this last third or half of this movie is. And it, yes. it ends so abruptly... It, yes. it, it, I'm like, okay, I guess they're fine now. Like, <laughs> what? And so it's not even a slasher. Like, the only thing that's, I felt no. that got slashed was my time because, <laughs> like, but you know, and that's that's a joke. That's a low, that's a low hanging fruit joke at that. But honestly, like, it was interesting to see, like, what, how we view slasher films and what they can do and what we consider slasher films to be and like like to your point about upping the body count like you can't you can up the body count all day but if i don't know who these people were in the first place why should i care the body count should have been increased with the people that i got to meet and sort of develop because there's a there's a few moments like at nighttime when they're like, sitting around the campfire or they're trying to, like when they, a couple of guys they snuck off to go smoke weed, there are like a few quick moments of like character development. Nothing nothing that was memorable or nothing that was really enticing, but they existed. If you killed those people off, oh man, that's that's wild. But and like it wasn't even like they were like practicing smart habits and working together they were bitching at each other the whole time <laughs> they were so inseparable it's and, you know yeah. especially edgar from the very beginning it's like oh my gosh he's just so over the top angry at everybody and then everyone else is angry and i'm just like just kill them all and then they all live so like if if the feral feral mom came through and killed everybody and like had went back to her little hut or, or shed she was living in and had all their heads like on a mantle and howled at the wind at the end, I would have been perfectly happy with that ending. That would have been a satisfactory yeah. ending. Girlfriend, she had an arc. They came into her territory. She took care of business. She felt threatened. Yeah. Get out of my environment. You're now my food. You're now my enemy. Okay. And I, she would have been the champion, the hero. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the final terror, the final terror would have been these invaders of her sacred land. And I don't know. It just, I feel like it was a lot of missed opportunities in, in the script. Yeah. And, but to be, to the, the cast was fine. The cast, like they did the best with what I feel they had to work with. Nothing like Oscar quality or anything, but like, 
I don't really want Oscar quality in my slasher films either. So that's just me personally, but I don't know if, um, yeah, I had to check it out. I, when I saw that Daryl Hannah was in it and it was an early eighties slasher that I had never seen. I was like, Nope, I'm in, I have to see what this is because I, I had that. no idea this even existed. So, and then at the beginning it, you know, scream factory has a, a warning or I don't know what you, what oh, you want yes. to call it. A, yeah, yeah, an yeah, intro. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah that yeah. it was uh, lost for a while and they had to piece it together. A disclaimer. Um, so yeah, I wonder disclaimer. if, I wonder if they warning. had, mm-hmm. I wonder if they had like, <laughs> maybe they didn't find all the film back because it felt like there were some disjointed segments and se- sequences. Yeah. Um, I mean, mostly it was pretty cohesive. Um, just wasn't great or wasn't good, but I, yeah. I, I kind of get like, like you see a actor's body of work and there's something that's obscure that you have not checked out. And it happens to be a film that's you love like slashers. Like I get it. You want to like scratch that itch. Like, yeah. Like being a gamer, like when we get that achievement to unlock all, get the unlockable, the unlocked content. Um, but man, was the juice worth the squeeze here? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. But like I said, yeah. I'm, I'm happy I saw it because it made me appreciate other movies that I thought were really bad. You know what? They're not that bad. No. No. Because stuff now, like The Last see, Terror exists. <laughs> see, The Burning, why? Because you asked me, you said, well, what movie would you pair this with? And I said The Burning immediately. Yeah. And the reason why is I, I don't want to talk about who produced it because he is a major Hollywood creep now um, that we all know. But it was produced by a, a big name who wanted to um, profit off of the slasher, you know, craze back then. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like The Burning is a step up from almost like even from Friday 13th. I think The Burning is a step up from the from the first Friday 13th. And um, it's just really well done. And, you know, of course, the people who are behind it, you know, Jason Alexander is his first role. Uh, so that's kind of fun to watch. Oh, but... is it? I didn't, I didn't know that. Yes. That's fun. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. And so and there's a couple of other first roles. But, you know, this is actually like like five step ups maybe from like the final terror. So I, I think that that's a nice little palate cleanser because the kills are just, Oh, Tom Savini. Some of Tom Savini's best work he has ever done is in my opinion, um, day of the dead, the burning mm-hmm. and, and the prowler. The prowler. So, yes. Yes. To yes, me, yes, yes, those yes. three are like the top Savini effects and the burning was just i mean you see kills that you will never see in any other slasher yeah joseph zito so. joseph zito he did prowler yep. the prowler yeah, yeah yeah yeah. i like how they all kind of like kind of tie it back together <laughs> these yeah these... it seems like with him and steve minor for some reason it's yes. always like him and steve minor sometimes sean cunningham mm-hmm. but yeah like you you kind of see these and savini you see these names over and over again mm-hmm. you start looking into a lot of 80s slashers so yeah, yeah. well they, they all you know shop at the same store essentially so um okay so in celebrating us looking at the final terror um i'm not going to ask you to grade this film because i think that's self-serving and, and horribly unjust because it's we all know it's bad. We don't need to like. It would be hard. <laughs> we don't need to beat it while it's down, kind of a thing. Um, and give I'm, I'm gonna give it a little bit of grace because it was how it was produced, how it was made. You know, 
the script is not forgivable, but everything else I, I will hold against it. But what I would ask you is that if you could alter, change, add to, take away anything from um, the, the Final Terror in a means to improve it in your own way, what would you do? I think that it needs more terror. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, there there's some moments of suspense and they just stop because they, they just don't go anywhere. Like, you know, someone alone in the woods and you kind of are thinking, okay, here we go, here we go. And then they're like, oh, hey, buddy, how's it going? And, you know, and they just go back to camp. Like, I, I would think more terror and having the uh, the villain more of a villain. Because I felt like she just kind of came in at the end. You know, she she was kind of talked about throughout the film and hinted at and things like that. But I feel like we didn't have any idea who this villain was other than a campfire story. Right. Um, that was it. Yeah. So uh, I just, I you know, and also I think that the, the men <laughs> needed to take it down a few notches because it was so overwhelmingly like yelling and anger for no reason like it was just absurd almost so that's fair yeah uh okay (laughs) (laughs) i i I can't refute final terror needs more terror i mean i mean if it's i mean yeah if you're gonna have terror in the title you should at least evoke that that emotion um more than you more than they did and i i didn't feel terrified one time um i did kind of like the one thing I did like, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool, was when they were floating down the river and she pops up off the rock. I was like, oh, oh, shit, she was, she's right there. That's pretty cool. That was, all right, movie, you got me. Like, I wasn't scared, but like, oh, okay, okay, all right, I see you, I see you, okay. It wasn't uh, wasn't a complete shit show. Yeah. <laughs> my my other question with it is, why is it the final terror? Like, what's final <laughs> like i just i had so many questions you know i wonder if like it was so. it was like you know in in the business in the context of making these types of films back in the early 80s and late 70s was like hey write a quick script that won't cost us more than two or three million dollars to produce make it kind of to the point make it simple give it a flashy title so it'll attract viewers and we'll and we'll just churn and burn these movies for the next four or five years because they're easy, cheap to make. We don't need to hire big names, and we can make money. And that's what I feel a lot of these early slashers were about, which is a quick buck for the studio because that's what they were. That's what they did. And then that dried up dried up eventually because people, people got wise to it. But, you know, so I think that this movie got caught up in that mix where it was just like, it just—it was very formulaic in its, in its, you know, production. The pieces came together pretty much like a lot of other slasher films that are just—I don't know—didn't really leave much to the imagination, but thought it did. And then you watch it, you're like, "This is what I'm spending my money on." <laughs> and before you knew it, you've already parted with your money and your time, and you're like, "Son of a gun!" And then they get you the next year with the next one that they make. <laughs> yeah. It's a vicious cycle. Um, yeah. So, okay. Well, Melissa, we've been at it for – look at my timer. Oh, yeah, yeah, we've been at it for a long time. 
I'll leave it at that. That's what your timer says. Uh, it's just a it, long it, time. It, yeah, no, the numbers went away. I just said, dude, are you still recording? What are you doing? Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I want to say that it's been so much fun, like talking to you about you know Austin, about South by Southwest, about you know being a critic, and you know adding a critical lens to a film that you know we know isn't going to be seen by a lot of people. Probably hasn't been seen by a lot of people, but like we both can appreciate what it is in the context of when it came out. And um, it's been great. It's been a fun chat. I really appreciate you taking the time and, you know, on a Friday out of all days, you know, to, you know, <laughs> yeah, to lend yourself over to blood, sweat and popcorn. So I really appreciate it. And well, I had a good time. So I'm glad you asked me. Heck yeah. Anything you want to, anything new you want to share about, Horror Geek Life or anything coming up soon that you want to promote? You know, I actually want to mention that we just had a really cool interview come out. It was a really good interview, actually. It's a great read. Um, but we interviewed Daniel Roebuck. And, uh, you know, he's a friend of one of our writers, of our friend, uh, I mean, of our writer, Corey. And he talked to him about Munsters and playing the Count, which is Grandpa Munster. Mm-hmm. But he had a lot of really good things to say and a lot of really interesting things to say about Rob Zombie's vision for the Munsters, his passion for it. I know a lot of people have been very negative on it, you know, especially with Sherry Moon Zombie taking the role of Lily. Uh And, you know, we've seen it on our social media. Our social media is a mess every time we mention this movie. It's really weird because he has more fans than any other director and yet he has more haters than any other directors. So it's like such an even thing. But um, yeah, so, you know, if you have reservations about the film, which I get, believe me, I do too. Or if you just want to, you know, re- he even talks about knowing Al Lewis. He worked with Fred, uh, Fred Gwynn. So, you know, he knew the Munsters mm-hmm. it, because Daniel Roebuck has such a long acting career. Um, he's been in films with Fred Gwynn before. And so... Yeah, he has a lot of really cool things to say. I would definitely tell people to go check that out and Great. see what they think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that sounds super cool. Um, I, I love when we get to interview people on Horror Geek Life. And um, I feel like, you know, we always, you know, hit a lucky stride where we always are able to pull great, great uh, factoids and great, just great interview segments from these um, amazing guests. And, yeah, what a fortunate business to be in where you can like talk to these people that create wonderful things and get their experiences and get their words and so 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 cool man I'm just excited about it i'm excited i'm excited for the interview that already happened that came out i read it it was good um and uh, cool um okay is there anything else or i don't think so i think that's about it we just uh we have a lot going on right now. Today is Disney Plus Day, and we've been covering that. And yeah, just trying to keep up <laughs> as always. <laughs> That's fair. Okay, yeah. well, um, I certainly appreciate you coming on the show. I hope to have you again very soon. Um, we'll talk whatever at that point and food food we talk food yes <laughs> after Austin, after I think we just so, need to talk about food. Sure. I, absolutely. Um, and I look forward to seeing you in Austin, hanging out and, and catching catching a movie, catching a couple beers and hanging out. And yeah, so that's it. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.